Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On this week's episode, we are talking with a friend of mine about her fertility journey. Beth is an endometriosis warrior, and I chose her in particular for this episode because During her fertility journey, she has used donor eggs, a gestational carrier, and I think that listening to her story is so inspiring, and I think that a lot of women will be able to have a better understanding of what that process looks like if that's something that maybe they're going through, or maybe they just want to learn more about what the process looks like in these particular circumstances. This is our second episode in our series on infertility. Before we get into today's episode, I am really excited to tell you guys about a new program I have, Empowered in the Bedroom, The Sex Ed You Wish You Had. This course is a six-week course that talks all about your body, your pleasure, communication, and health. It is going to be super juicy. I cannot wait to get started. If you haven't scheduled a time to talk with me to learn a little bit more about what this program looks like and get all of your questions answered and make sure that it's a good fit, then do so right away by going to empowered.jordandonnell.com. I cannot wait to hear from you and answer all of your questions. I have been waiting for this. Program starts beginning of April, so don't wait, you don't want to miss out. So today we have Beth App joining us. She is a friend of mine from Dayton, Ohio. I met her through the fertility community when I was working in infertility. She was somebody that ran the support groups and helped support other women who were also dealing with infertility. She is a wonderful woman And I am so excited to have her on today to share her journey. Beth, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey? Yeah, sure. A lot of the things that help me identify with the universe and other humans is that I am a Taurus and I am an Enneagram 2, which is the helper. I love to help people. I am a healer, and I am a mama to my son, Eli. He's five now. I'm a wife, and my passions are rehabbing homes. We love My husband and I love to renovate homes, so that's a big passion of ours. And then I just became a realtor, so that's fairly new for me. But also my love language is quality time. So I love to be with my girlfriend's. That passion has also helped me develop like retreats. I like to lead retreats. There's so much magic that happens when women gather. And so that's a huge passion of mine. And support groups. I have the fertility support group. So, yeah. My quality time is also my love language. And definitely with the pandemic, that's made a huge impact because we haven't been able to see, at least initially, we haven't been able to see as many people as we normally would, I'm sure. So. Yeah, it's been hard. 
Well, this episode is dropping in conjunction with Surrogacy Awareness Month. And I know that your journey to a family involved using a gestational carrier. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your fertility journey? If we start how I became infertile, that would be I had severe endometriosis. Um, my periods were always extremely horrible ever since I got my period. And I just thought that's the way things were supposed to be. I didn't know then that it was that you were supposed to be in pain every single month. So by the time I was diagnosed, I was 27 and I was at level four, which is the highest level. And he did a cleanup surgery. My uterus wasn't even where it was supposed to be. It was like attached to the back of my abdominal wall and my left fallopian tube was about to fall off. And so he cleaned me up and he gave me a year to try to conceive. I was married to my ex-husband at the time. We didn't try a whole lot because when you have endometriosis, you're always in a lot of pain. And I had some other issues as well, but we didn't try a whole bunch, but he said my endo would come back with a vengeance, and it definitely did. So I ended up having a hysterectomy at age 29. And my husband and I ended up getting a divorce, and a lot of it had to do with not being able to have children. So that was really hard. So then going into the dating pool again in my 30s and not being able to have children was really rough. I ended up doing the online thing after being single for three years, being very hesitant to, but I ended up meeting my now husband, Mark, through eHarmony. And he started, we just had this conversation the other day, and I thought it was like our third date, but he said, no, I'm very sure we talked about having kids on our first date. Like, just, he was kind of feeling me out, like, where I was and the whole thing. And I remember being... Because I immediately was drawn to him and, you know, there was a connection and I was hesitant to tell him because I'm like, he's just going to run the other way. But when I told him, he didn't even raise an eyebrow or anything. He was just like, you know, we'll figure this out. And so very early on, like I think three months into our relationship, we knew what we had to do. Having a hysterectomy, we knew I wasn't going to be carrying a child. He wasn't. He's not closed off to adoption, but he definitely wanted to have a child of his own. So we made an appointment at the fertility clinic. We went through Institute of Reproductive Health in Cincinnati. And so we went down there to figure out like where we needed to start. We knew nothing about the process other than we needed someone to carry for us. So lots of talking through everything. And they had an agency we could have went through. But I kind of wanted to find someone on my own to carry because, you know, we didn't want to pay the extra agency fees. We already knew from meeting with finance, the finance department there that it was going to cost a ton of money. And I specifically remember watching Mark standing at the finance counter, like thinking, why in the world is he doing this? Like, he can't go get any girl, like so many women out there would like be attracted to him and he's you know doing so well for himself in life and like why is he wanting to like spend thousands of dollars to have a baby with me like it was just hard for me at that point to wrap my mind around but yeah we uh had a hard go of it 
from the very beginning, like trying to find someone. So I started having conversations. We w- we didn't go, you know, now I talk freely about it on Facebook and any other social platform, but, and if anyone asked me, but at the time, just seven years ago, it was so taboo then. And like, we didn't talk about these issues. So I started having conversations with just people like one-on-one if they would have a baby for us. And so (laughs) that was all really hard. So yeah, I don't know how much you want me to get into all of that. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. I want to. So it's really hard to ask a woman to (laughs) carry a child for you. That's like a really hard conversation. And I definitely heard a lot of no's. I had conversations probably about seven women at that point after having our son. We tried again, and so I've had numerous conversations since then. But the first time around, it was like seven women, and we were for sure that this one woman was going to say yes. She took six weeks. She was praying about it with her husband. We were for sure she was going to say yes. She's a childhood friend of mine. And then we were all talking about getting together, our husband's meeting and meeting up somewhere and talking and stuff. And she called me. So I thought that's what it was going to be about. And she said, you know, I prayed about this and she has four kids of her own. And she was just like, I don't think the timing is right. And I can't do this. And I was just like taken so far back by that because everyone else had said pretty much no up front. But this was like, we had waited six weeks and I am not a patient person at all. So I thought for sure she's going to say yes, but she said no. And then the very next night I'm a massage therapist and I was in session and I came out and I had a text message from another woman that I had talked to, but she was going through a divorce and she's like, I don't know about this timing. And you know, let me think about it and get back to you. Well, that was like further back than six weeks. Like that was probably seven or eight weeks before this time and she had texted me and she said you know if you still are looking for somebody I'd be interested in you know being a gestation carrier for you and that's who ultimately ended up carrying Eli her name's Sarah and she I remember calling her on my way home and I was just like look came off probably kind of bitchy because I'm like I don't, I'm not in the mood like if you're not serious because <laughs> Like, this just happened. (laughs) She had to tell me yes probably, like, five times. We went out to dinner. You know, we kept talking. She had to keep saying, Elizabeth, yes, yes, I want to do this. Because I just couldn't believe it. (laughs) After all the no's. So we got to work at the fertility clinic. Like, she had to then be medically cleared. So we had to go in for that appointment. They take tons of blood work. She, I think she pretty much did pass out. So, you know, it was really hard for her to, um, she knew nothing about the process either. And that's the thing talking to women and that I've learned since then is that a lot of women will come forward and they'll say, you know, they have the best intentions and they really want to do it for you. And they come from a really good place, but they might not necessarily have researched it or know what all goes into it. And then when you explain the process to them, they're like, oh, no, or we might even get into the process and then they're not medically cleared or, 
you know, they change their mind after they learn about all the medication they have to inject into themselves. So that's really hard because you get your hopes up and then like this process is just such a roller coaster. So she ended up being fine and we proceeded and I have my, the only thing I have left is my right ovary. So I had a complete hysterectomy and I have my right ovary left. And so we decided to harvest my eggs. I did all the testing. My AMH was, I think, 0 0.01. It wasn't even like 0.1 or anything like that. It was very, very low. So, you know, they didn't give me very good odds or anything. But I did produce three follicles on my right ovary. And on the day of harvest... so. Me, not knowing then what all that meant, I was like, oh, I have three eggs, you know, and I'm super excited. And I, and I go the day of harvest and I come out and, you know, you're a little groggy and there's like, well, we got one egg. And I was like, what are you talking about? There were three in there. Like, I should have three eggs. And they're like, no, you know, not, they don't necessarily all mature or they're not vi viable. And I was just like, oh, my God. So... My one egg fertilized. And the next day we got the call and it fertilized. And so that was considered a fresh cycle. Or So they transferred our one little embryo and it didn't make it. It was, we didn't get pregnant. I was for sure that we were pregnant. I feel like Sarah in the beginning like kind of felt like it. And we ended up taking the pregnancy test at my office. She came. And we took it, and uh, we were both sure. Like, she peed on the stick. She came out, we had it flipped over, and then I couldn't even bear to turn it over. She had to turn it over, and, like, it was just so shocking that it was negative because we were both pretty sure. So then, after that happened, the doctor, I had a very long, long conversation with the doctor. He called me personally. You know, he just explained with the endometriosis and everything like that, that in my age and all these other factors, it would probably be a good idea to maybe think about egg donation. And that, of course, took me back and took me, it's like this whole grieving process. Like I grieved uh, losing my uterus. And then I'm like, man, now I have, I had all that hope built up that, man, I'm, I'm going to be a mother. And whereas, like I had kind of given up on that whole thought. And then when they were harvesting my eggs, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get to be a mother and I'm going to have a biological child. And so then when he starts talking to me about that, I'm like, you know, you have to wrap your mind around there's never going to be a human walking the earth with like your DNA and all of that stuff. But I had always been open to adoption. Like even in high school, I was like, I would love to adopt and. So it wasn't as hard for me, I think, to wrap my mind completely around it and be okay with it. Since then, I've known a lot of women in support group and stuff that it's a hard thing for some women and some people cannot go even go there. So, but I was able to, and, um, and then when we started that process, there was an agency that the fertility clinic used. So we met with them and they... So then sort of like dating, you get all these profiles <laughs> and you are selecting someone that you think has 
for me, it was more about the looks. Like I needed this person to look like me for some reason. And then I found out that her birthday was also in May and that she was a Taurus. So that sealed the deal for me. <laughs> so we picked her and then we almost lost her because somebody else wanted her really bad. And then we got into the process of, then we had to sync her cycle and Sarah's cycle. At first they were like, okay, they pounded in my head that fresh was best. Fresh cycle at the time is best. And so we were gearing up for this fresh cycle. So both women have to kind of like get their cycles synced. And Sarah this time was taking a little bit longer. Uh, her lining of her uterus was, uterus was taking a little longer to thicken. My egg donor was in nursing school and she's like, I can't wait, you know, any longer. I'm getting ready. I think she was getting ready to do like a residency or something. And she's like, I can't keep waiting. So then the doctor calls me and says, well, this can still work. We can just go ahead and harvest her eggs and freeze them. And I was like, whoa. You guys told me that fresh is the best and like I'm spending thousands of dollars and I kind of like had this tailspin like what in the world like you want me to it's like it's literally like playing the lottery like you want me to spend thousands of dollars and this may not work. And so they assured me they're like we're getting better results with this now you know the technology is getting better and better and so I was like, okay, well, I guess it's our only option because I really want this egg donor. So now I can't even remember. Oh, and then the other thing was is she she was young, like 26, I think, but it was her fifth time donating. We were supposed to get like 20-some eggs, which is normal for a woman of that age, and we were going to split the batch with the fertility clinic. Well, when day of harvest came she didn't produce that many eggs and they were like we didn't get as many eggs as we thought we got like eight and I was like eight that's like way less than you guys said and he's like yeah and I signed a contract that if she did not produce enough eggs I would then have to pay the money that they were discounting me for a split batch with them but my doctor was amazing, and he said, we're not going to make you pay that money. And I was like, hallelujah. So we proceeded, and then I remember the day of transfer, Sarah was finally ready, and we went in there, and they thawed our embryos, and they said we had two. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> we were supposed to have like three or four, and they're like, no, you have two, and they thawed them both out at the same time. I don't think they do that anymore, but because we were only planning on transferring one. So bottom line, the day of transfer, we had one embryo that was good, and that is now Eli. So we had no, nothing left to freeze, no nothing, nothing left over, and the whole egg donor process that costs like ten thousand dollars so it was like we were paying ten thousand dollars and we got one embryo I'm, and I was furious it like clouded that day which now looking back I it sucks that I was so angry because I remember that day just being so angry that I because I'm like I produced one embryo 
out of my like one little ovary and having endometriosis. And so we paid all this money for, you know, an egg donor. We got one embryo. But then when you find out you're pregnant, you're not mad anymore. (laughs) So yeah, we wait the two week wait. And then this time I couldn't look at the stick either. Sarah and she was with her boyfriend at the time and they came went out to breakfast and we went back to our house and she took the test and uh she came out and we're just standing there talking for what seemed like forever and then she's like well do you want to look at it and I was like no I don't want to look at it because I was just then I was pretty sure we weren't pregnant the second time around she looked at it and she she just turned and looked at me and she said are you ready to be a mother and I I just broke down we both just broke down and we, her and I just like grabbed each other. It was like, it was like our men were not even there. It was like, we're having a baby <laughs> together. That was amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It was a beautiful journey. Like we, I, I know I'm leaving so many important parts out, but after that it was, it was fun in some ways and in other ways it was really hard to be pregnant but not really be pregnant. I think the biggest impact was when I went to do our registry. So I think we were like maybe seven months along before I finally did it and you give the people your due date. That's back when you actually went into the stores and like they gave you the gun and you went around. I don't even know if they do that anymore. It's probably all online. They just like looked at me. She looked at my stomach and then looked at me like, you're not having a baby. Like, I'll just never forget that. Like, look, it was like no one believed me, kind of. Cause even out going out places or whatever and buying baby things or whatever, it's like, yeah, I'm having a baby. And so it was hard to not actually physically have a belly and hard to believe, I guess, cause. I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, I never thought this was going to be a reality for me. So, maybe that's why it was harder, too. Like, if nobody else believed me, like, maybe I shouldn't believe it either. Maybe this isn't really going to come to fruition. But just not being able to spend every day with him either. He wasn't actually physically with me. That was hard. But Sarah and I found a lot of humor in it, too. Everyone thought we were lesbians, too. I got the doctor's appointments and stuff. So then we just made it into a joke. It's like, yeah, she's my lover, and we're having this baby. So that was kind of fun and kind of what I needed to to kind of lighten it up. She has the most amazing personality, so she's a lot of fun. What was your relationship with her like throughout the process? Before... I had known Sarah for years. We worked together at Home Depot, but we were just work friends. You know, like I would just, I never hung out outside of work with her, but I always remember her being one of my favorite people to like be around at work. But definitely once we got into this process, we definitely got a lot closer. We hung out a lot during the pregnancy, just like dinner dates and things like that and going to all the doctor's appointments. And I'm a really big control freak, so it was really hard for me. But I feel like I did a good 
job. I believe I've asked her after the fact and she said that I did like not bothering her. Like as far as like, did you eat good today? And you know, like I did, there was one thing I did kind of worry about. They have dogs and they had bigger dogs and the one dog would jump on your stomach when you would go over there or whatever. And so like, just fears about that like oh my god what if the dog jumps on her belly and like hurts the baby and just things like that but I feel like I kept most of my fears and all that to myself and we also Mark and I read stories to the baby and then she we got her belly buds and so he listened to our voices a lot and she did all that I couldn't have asked for a better gestational carrier at all like she was amazing and at times, like, keeping me calm and and also being, like, totally infuriating, infuriated alongside with me uh, with parts of the process. It shouldn't have to be this way. And because both of us going in not knowing a whole lot, it was just so great to have her to go along with me, to have a, a friend other than your husband. <laughs> or your partner. Absolutely. Having that support system can make such a difference. Tell me a little bit more about like the cost. And I know this was like seven years ago, so I'm sure the cost has changed at this point, but I'm, I'm curious as to how much does the gestation carrier cost? What do they actually make? Yeah. So that was one of the other reasons why we didn't want to go through an agency because we kind of felt like oh that's just paying like a finder's fee like if we could find like that's the best scenario if we can find someone you know that you know but then also that was kind of a frustrating part for me because when we started telling people about our story or whatever and that Sarah was my friend like I feel like a lot of people didn't think that we were paying her and it was just like no we're we're paying her it's like some women do it for hardly no money at all, which is amazing. And there is no price that you can put on this. Let's just say that. I wish we could have paid way more, but we had a set amount in our mind and Sarah agreed to that. And so we paid her $20,000. And so we had to make those monthly payments. So we were paying that. It was about 1800 per month, but then we were paying her insurance on top of that. And so we were having a house at the time and we were living in it and it was not livable. Like we went two weeks without plumbing and we were making huge sacrifices. Like we didn't have a kitchen for seven months and all this stuff. And people were like, why don't you guys rent a condo or live somewhere else? And I'm like, we literally cannot afford it. Like we are paying our carrier. Like 2015 was like one of the hardest years ever for Mark and I, but we only had to do two IVF cycles where so many other women have to do so many more. And so all in all, our journey was $90,000 and Eli just turned five and we are still paying on one last loan. It's like $340 a month. But for a while there, we were paying like $1,200 a month still after he was born on loans and everything. We, um, it was all kinds of financing. We chose to borrow from my husband's 401k and then we got some other loans too. So 
But I think the hardest time was when we were actually pregnant, paying her that, paying out like two grand a month. That was so, so hard. And then being so in debt. Like I think a lot of people wait to have kids because they're like, it's so expensive. And, you know, you have that cost for at least 18 years or more. But having extreme debt before they even get here is really hard. And that's why a lot of people don't think when they, I've talked to some women that I was already like right off the bat, like, you know, you just get that feeling. You're like, oh no. When you're asking them to be your carrier, entertaining conversations with them because they come right out of the gate with like, I want this amount of money, like 40 or 50,000. And rightfully so, you should be paid really well for that. But what a lot of people don't understand is we don't only have that 40 or $50,000 to pay. We had $10,000 for the egg donor. We had $10,000 we had to pay in legal fees because we had to pay for our lawyer and Sarah's lawyer to get all of the paperwork done. And we wanted a pre-birth order. And what the pre-birth order states is that like right there at the hospital, our birth certificate would have our names on it. If you don't have that in place, the mother, like Sarah would have been on the birth certificate and then we would have had to later change it. So that's the most expensive paper piece of paper we've ever paid for. That was like $3,000 before he was even born. You have to have all that. And then we had to pay for two IVF cycles. Like back then, I think it was like seventeen or 18000 in I think it's even more now. Like, I don't know. Maybe around that. Maybe that was including meds. Like now I think it's that plus you have to pay meds. I don't know. Do you know the current prices? The last I heard in Ohio is about 12,000 plus meds. However, in California, I know it's about 25,000 plus meds. Yeah, I think maybe I'm remembering 18 because maybe it was like the 11 or 12 plus meds. I know meds were like 5,000 or something crazy. And we had to pay for that first cycle, my meds and her meds. Same way with the second cycle, really, because we were paying the egg donor meds and Sarah's meds again. So, yeah, it was, it's very, very expensive. How long would you say the process took from when you guys decided that you wanted to attempt pregnancy to being pregnant? Well, it took us two years, but I feel like that is sometimes relatively short compared to a lot of women I have met in the past few years, I know couples that have been at it five years and they still don't have a child. So I think it depends on what technologies you're willing to use too. Like some women are just trying naturally and they don't want to go the IVF route because of religious reasons or just their what they believe in. So it just depends on what you're willing to do, I guess. But it took us a little over two years, probably. And we started, we weren't even married or anything. Like I said, we were dating for like three months. <laughs> we started 
which was crazy. And then we got married in September of 2015, and Eli was born in December. So we got married literally right before he was born. It's an easy way for us to remember our anniversary, like how many years we've been together. I love that. I did not realize that you guys were going through all of this while dating. Yeah. That's a huge commitment. Yeah, my husband's three years older than me, so he was... We knew it was probably going to take a little while, like something's going to happen overnight. So, yeah, and I remember sitting with him because I've had a ton of health issues and I was a little leery of all the drugs for um, the egg harvest. And I remember sitting on the floor with him in the place we were living at the time. And I was just like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure if I can do this. And he was amazing and he's just like you know if you don't feel comfortable then we don't have to do this and I ended up you know doing it of course but I can remember another time it was our second round and I just hit my knees and I started praying and I was just like you know if you don't do this for me like could you just please do it for him like he's sacrificed so much and like has always believed in this and believed in us and so it was a lot to go through right off the bat but it just seemed like the right thing I guess you just know when when the person is right and that you can trust them with all of this that is exactly how I feel about dating I feel like you know you know like when you know you know so during this journey is there anything that was really helpful or supportive that your friends did or family? Yeah, so we didn't tell a whole lot of people. My one best friend at the time knew, and then Sarah, of course, was a big help. But I did feel really isolated, and so that's a big part of why I do the support group now, because I didn't have a support group. And the lady who, uh, you actually know her too, the lady who helps me with the support group, she went through it even. I guess it's been like maybe 15 years now, 15, 18 years for her. And she just had women that she emailed at the time to for support. But it can be an extremely isolating thing. We only told my parents, my husband's parents didn't know until we got pregnant. Because we didn't want to take everybody on that roller coaster ride because then you know, everybody gets their hopes up along with you. And then then you're like crushing everyone along with your own heart. So we didn't tell a whole lot of people. At the time, it was just mainly like having Sarah there, I guess, to talk to her about everything. It was good to have a girlfriend, I guess, too. My husband's not a big talker. So it was like she was the most helpful I think through the whole process mainly just Sarah I can't think of anything that I can think of things that happened like afterward once people knew my story and stuff like that then other people opening up and sharing their infertility journeys and things like that helps you know that you're not alone but at the time we were going through it I did feel pretty alone and not understood at all Because even back then, like, the whole term gestational carrier or surrogacy, 
wasn't in mainstream the way it is now that more celebrities are talking about it. So it was just a hard thing to even talk to my friends about because I don't know, it's a lot for people to wrap their mind around. Right. And then it leaves you to do a lot of educating and over and over and over again, which can be very exhausting. Yeah. When you're already exhausted from it all. Yeah. So for me, I feel, I look back and I feel like I'm glad it was that way for me. I'm glad I wasn't talking to a whole lot of people about it and stuff when I was actually in it. Because like you said, that would have been extra exhausting for me. And I was already having such a hard time. But now, you know, after the fact, it's very easy for me to share and I want to share about it and I'll open up to anyone about it for your mess to be your message kind of thing. Uh, I love that saying. Well, and, you know, you mentioned that awareness and talking about these things, and that's one of the big reasons why I do this podcast, but also one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this episode, because a lot of women who are going through fertility issues do feel very isolated, do feel very alone. And there's a lot of other conditions, endometriosis, PCOS, a lot of women feel very alone and isolated when dealing with these conditions. And so talking about them is our first step. Yeah. What is one thing you would tell someone going through fertility treatment who is needing a gestational carrier or donor eggs to help get them through the process? It's what I tell people when they come to my support group. Like if I really think they're struggling, this is a very hard thing. I'm not, I don't say it lightly, like it's no big deal or whatever, but the biggest thing for me at the time to grasp is that your child is going to come to you. The child that was meant for you is going to come to you, but it may not necessarily be the way you envisioned it at all, or it may take way longer than you want. It's definitely not about your timing or when your life's most perfect or so many people put off having kids because they're like, oh, you know, we need to pay off debt or we need to buy a house or I got to finish college or all of that stuff, but it's never going to be the perfect time. And then when you do decide to have kids and you have an infertility issue, then you're just, you know, maybe I shouldn't have waited. Like, that's what we discuss all the time in support group. We had only known back when we were pumping ourselves through full birth control. Like, if I had known I was going to have as much trouble, I wouldn't have taken the birth control or this or that, you know. And just trying to have such control over it. And then when we actually want it to happen, it doesn't happen. So, yeah, that's my advice is that to kind of let go in a sense of and not fight what you had envisioned for having a family. Because if I would have fought that or like I wouldn't have gotten down this road, I wouldn't have my son. And he's like the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I just can't imagine life without him and None of that stuff matters once they're here and once that child comes to you. And, like, you just know, like, when he was born and 
they put him in my arms. I didn't think of any of that. It just felt so natural. And I actually, I educate about this too, because a lot of women don't know that you don't have to actually carry the child to breastfeed. And so I was pumping beforehand and I was taking herbs and stuff to be able to breastfeed him. And he latched like so perfectly when he came out when he was born. And that moment, I just knew our souls were supposed to meet. No matter how many times I tell the story, I cry every time. You'll just know, like, when it's right. And, but yeah, to let go of everything you think it should be like. Especially going on that journey because there's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of things that don't work out. And you're like, oh, God, this isn't working out. But if you keep hanging on, like, something does work out the way it's supposed to. I think that's good advice. Well, thank you so much, Beth, for sharing your story with us. I think so many people will be able to be more aware and maybe understand what their friends are going through, or maybe it's something that they personally are going through as well. So I appreciate you sharing your journey. Where can the listeners find you at? I'm on Instagram. My business is called Restorative Health. So it's restorative, restorative underscore health is my Instagram. On Facebook, I'm just Beth App. And then I am on Resolve website. Resolve is one of the biggest support areas for infertility. And I'm on their website for my support group here in the Dayton area. If they're local to Dayton, we'd love to see them at that group. It's an amazing group of women. With COVID, have you been offering Zoom at all, or is it still all in person? Uh, we talked about doing Zoom. One thing is, is I haven't invested in Zoom, and then it only gives you a certain amount of time, and we always seem to go pretty long. Uh, there is a lot of people that come. Like I did open up and have one in uh, November, I think it was, and we had like 12 people. So we were all masked, and... Everything went fine. I'm going to start it back up in person in April. We'll be meeting in person again. I think most people just like it that way anyways. versus virtual. Yeah, we'll be reconvening in April. Perfect. And I will put all the links for all those in the show notes so that people can easily find you. And yeah, thank you so much, Beth. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you for educating and supporting. This episode is sponsored by Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, offering top bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. Check out the link in the bio to start shopping today. By shopping, you are supporting this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.